This episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome to Unstoppable today, Roy Cook, author of The Fool's Errands, Why Your Goals Are Falling Short and What You Can Do About It. Uh, Roy, as I said in the prelim here, I don't normally do too much research on my guests uh, because I want to get to know them at the same time as the audience and be just as curious as everyone else who is listening. But I have to say, I kind of broke my own rule here um, and I did a little bit of research, as I just mentioned to you, and I have to say, I'm really interested and intrigued to where this can go. But the question that I like to ask a lot of guests, and I think this will be an interesting one from you, is let's say you're at a, a dinner party and there's eight people around a table. Nobody knows who you are. You know, uh, Everyone sits down, the conversation ensues, and uh, at some point everybody goes quiet and the focus goes to you and the person beside you goes, so Roy, what do you do? How do you answer that question? Well, right now I would say it's easy. I don't do anything. I've been retired for 20 years. But if you caught me before I was retired, I would say I was an entrepreneur. I was an entrepreneur for 11 years. And before that, I had an ordinary business career. I worked at Procter & Gamble, a couple of other marketing companies. But then because of an ethical dilemma where a company wanted me to do something that was unethical, I quit and formed my own company because a friend of mine said, Roy, I like to make my own mistakes. That's why I'm an entrepreneur. And I thought, that's terrific. And so um, I built a company up and after 11 years, um, I had enough financially to retire. And so for the past 20, I've done whatever the hell I want because uh, if you're financially independent, I define that as uh, you can do whatever you want regardless of time or money. So I probably wouldn't say I'm financially independent at a cocktail party. They would say, well, aren't you special, you know? <laughs> um, but um, so that's what I was. So I had a career working for uh, big companies like Procter & Gamble and Metro Media for maybe, let's see, how long was that? 20, almost 30 years. And that was in the area of marketing, was it? Yeah, I, it was packaged goods marketing. And what that means is anything that's sold, well, here you'd say it a Safeway or a Kroger. So like an anything in a pack. Yeah. So that's something in a package like gotcha. foods, health and beauty, age cleansers. <clears throat> or I worked for companies that helped those people introduce their products, helped Pepsi. When I got my own company, I would help them introduce products. I worked with Pepsi, Frito-Lay, uh, Armour Dial, Procter & Gamble, Kraft, all kinds of people like that. Um, and being an entrepreneur was 100 times better than just having a job with these other firms because, well, there's lots of reasons for that. I mean, you're, you're your own boss, um, you're having fun, you're having a, a challenge, you wanna be unstoppable, as you said. Um, you may be stoppable going this direction, but maybe you're unstoppable going that direction. But better yet is when you're retired because when you're working regardless, uh, you will run into some toxic people. You will occasionally have to work for the, do things for the government. You may get sued in a California court. California courts, courts are notoriously not favorable to business people. They side with the employee every time, you know. Um, so I like being an entrepreneur because I don't work with, I, I mean, I'm sorry, being uh, 
retire because of the things I do, <clears throat> which is mentoring, I teach core values, I teach great books uh, of Western Civ at a, at a local college. I, I do it free. Uh, I can do that. I've gotten together a, a bunch of people, fraternity brothers and their uh, lady friends, and we worked with uh, poor kids in southern Mexico, in LA, and on the Oregon coast. And um, and then I put together one of the largest mentoring programs in, in this, among these different universities uh, here, because I realized all the adults like me over 50 knew a lot about business, but the kids in school at 18 don't know anything. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, I'm, I'm sure they would disagree with that. I said, well, I know something, yeah. Well, no, I think that well, was probably, probably know. Know everything. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So well, I know. I so you probably know how to order a beer and how to get to the bathroom. That's it. So um, uh, when you're on your own, you're completely retired. You can do anything you want. Mm. And so there's no government involved in what I do. You know, there, there's just no issues. It's all fun. And I can also, you know, meditate and uh, journal and take long walks and stuff like that. Yeah, nice. So, uh, so I wrote I wrote the book just now, but it had to do with when I became an entrepreneur because of a very bad thing when I was working for a small company, and they asked me to lie on a court deposition, and um, I I got panic attacks at night, two or three times a week. I'd wake up after I went to sleep and going, <gasps> I can't breathe. I had a high rise in San Francisco. I'd run to the window, open the the, the window so I could get the, the air off the ocean. My wife thought I was dying, and I did too. And only after I saw a psychiatrist, <clears throat> for some reason I've lost my voice, and we haven't even talked more than five minutes. Uh, so I, I saw a psychiatrist and described it. She said, I know exactly what your problem is. You have ethics. They don't. Mm. You have integrity. And so bottom line is he said, the only way I'm going to get rid of those uh, panic attacks and get back on the beam is if I left this company, which paid me very well and for my own company or got another job. So that's what I did. And the book is about that. So it seems uh, to about, me that there was a little bit, there's a bit more, there's a bit more meat in that because you, you realize that there was a, a massive discrepancy between your own values and the company that you were working with. But you did some kind of self-assessment because it seems to me, you, from what I've read, you you met with the the psychiatrist. the The awareness was brought to the ethical dilemma, uh, and sometimes that's a you know it's a beautiful thing to have to be able to recognise yeah. what we should be doing versus what we shouldn't be doing. And it sounds like it touched you quite deeply. But you know, a lot of people have the awareness that shit. You know, I'm not aligned with you know what I feel, and most people don't necessarily use the word values. I'll say, look, it just doesn't feel right what I'm doing. So when you had this feeling and when it was pointed out that there was an ethical conflict, was there some kind of a process that you took yourself through to go, all right, then well, how do I, how do I resolve this? Yeah. yeah. So we're not, we're not going to talk about the probably 39 years up to that, but until uh, uh, I was 39, yeah. I felt I was a loser. I did a lot of not terrible things, but bad things and was in debt and got thrown out of places where I lived and everything. But I still earned good money during that time. And so up until I was 53, I was still doing fine with money and, and was a little bit better guy than I was up to 39. And I'm working with this company, uh, and 18 years after I started with them, they asked me 
to lie on a court deposition. I wasn't even involved with what they were lying about. I thought they were setting me up and I wouldn't do that. During that same period, I started to do a lot of reading and self-help, especially a couple of books I have permanently over here, Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Everybody knows that. That's it's so brilliant uh, book. I had the great pleasure of working yeah. for Stephen for about two years um, in the Australian wow. office over here. And it was transformational, oh. I have to say, being exposed yeah. to the seven habits, uh, what matters most, you know, four roles of leadership. It was uh, it was an incredible experience. Well, you named another book. His partner, it might have even been his senior partner. I, I'm not sure, but that was Hiram Smith. Yes. And he wrote What, what matters, matters Most. Powerful. What Matters Most deals with what I'm primarily concerned with is core values. Both of these men were unique in the, among all the writers. First of all, this isn't being taught anywhere now. Among the writers uh, that write about self-help, these two said, everyone has 10 to 20 core values. Now, they were both deeply spiritual, so they felt they were placed there by this guy. But definitely they were there when you were young, and they didn't change as far as they could see. And there's about 400 of them that I could identify. In my book, I put 122 that people would commonly work with. I skipped things like, instead of having integrity and honesty, I just put integrity. There are a lot of them that would you'd be spending all day at the dictionary trying to understand the distinction between them. And um, I've now taught this for about 10 years. And what I found is that nobody knows their core values. In fact, there are few people in Australia or in the United States that they were asked this question, which you started to ask me, said, who are you? Who are you? Most people, if they were asked that, would give the answer, well, this is my job. These are my kids. I like to play tennis. I do that. And I'd say, wait a minute. That, that isn't you at all. That's what you do. I ask who you are. Mm. Your values are who you are. Your deep values. So they would be things like integrity, spirituality, give back, family, uh, learning, teaching. So I found 11 of these using primarily um, Smith's book where he deals with that. And so I had them ready. I, you know, I looked at all 160, got knocked them down. And, and there are ways in which you can look at a, a value and find out if it's yours. There are little tests that, I, that are in my book. There's what I call the 15 little helpers. Um, they're spot on in terms of telling you if you have a spiritual value or not. For example, on my list, there isn't creativity, but there may be on your list. If there is, you're not going to have much of a problem or less of a problem than me learning how to play the piano or paint or some other creative thing. And you'll have a drive to do that. You won't have to use much in the way of willpower because you'll love it. Well, it isn't on my list. So for me to play the piano or to paint or to do other creative things, of course, creativity could, could have to do with the way you set up your business, the way I set up mine. But that would take work on my part, and I'd have to use that undependable ally, willpower, that fades out every day. That's something people in this country don't know at all. If you've got your 10 to 20 core values, the next thing they said is make every decision and live on the basis of those core values. Eliminate all the other values and all the other things that have to do with the other values. So there's 300 other 390 values that I don't have 
or 389 to be precise. That means there's a whole bunch of books, podcasts, people, businesses that I don't have anything to do with. Mm. I won't. Now, who, who has supported me in that belief? Steve Jobs and Warren Buffett. They both said, you've got to learn to say no. And Buffett said, among the most successful people that I know in business, they, they all say no to almost everything. Mm. Now, that's uplifting to me to hear that because most Americans are all over the lot in what they look at. And they, they may have projects over here and there. They have no problem setting goals, but then they find when they try to carry them out, that, that they fall by the wayside, whether it's writing a book or becoming a millionaire or running their own business, because they weren't set up in tune with their values. Now, let me tell you one thing real quick. Here's what a value is. I wanted to write, Beautiful. figure this out. I was just about to ask that question because I saw a description that you gave in an article that I read, and it was brilliant. So please, go oh. ahead. Uh, I hated the fact that there was a coach that I don't even know, but she just read it. The reason is if I'm writing a book, I'd like to have my own value, but I kept thinking about it and I couldn't improve on it. Uh, this woman is named Dawn Barkley. She's a personal coach. Deeply rooted fundamental beliefs, guides that dictate your behavior and actions, the foundations of what is driving your decisions, ingrained principles that help you declare who you are and what you stand for. And my 11 are as follows. Now, my process has, when you figure these out, when you get them down to 122 to 10 or 20, then you start defining them and you write a paragraph about them. I'm not gonna read you that. I'm just gonna read you the words. Where, where they're so vague you won't even understand, I'll give you a little clue, but this is an order of importance to me too. Because there'll be, there'll be a Saturday that'll come where I'll have a conflict between these two values. It helps to know which one I value most. There'll be activities or something happening at the exact same time. You know, you'll be flying over here and I know I can go down to San Francisco and meet you and we can have lunch. And then I've got some a good friend in the hospital uh, and uh, the Super Bowl's on, you know. What are my values? Well, I can tell you one thing so I don't make you feel bad. I certainly wouldn't watch the Super Bowl rather than meet you. So, uh, but, but it might be a problem with a friend in the hospital, you know, and the only visiting hours conflicted with me getting. So here they are, spiritual, family, health, you might guess that those are values that a lot of people have, almost everybody, but they'll define them differently. Mm -hmm. My wife and I have no kids, so our life is gonna be completely different. We've had a lot of time to travel, study, and so on the people with kids and grandkids don't have. I, I know a lot of people like that, they just don't have that time. No, nor the money for, the, for that matter, if they've got a lot of grandkids. Next is integrity. That was a key word and uh, why uh, when I was faced with this dilemma, value-based life, community, what I mean by that is give back, philanthropic. Freedom, and what I mean by that is financial freedom. And I already defined that. Accomplishment, learning and teaching, resoluteness, and renewal. Renewal means remaking yourself. Uh, that's also a cheat area. You know, if you like to watch film noir on Turner Classic Movies or something like that, you... It's okay, you know, uh, you can't, you're not subject to criticism by people that say you sit in front of your TV all the time. Uh, if you want to walk or you want to plant roses or you want to watch film noir or you want to learn squash, um, 
that's what I call a renewal. It's, it's a, a broad subject that allows you to do anything that helps you remake yourself. Mm. The learning is interesting to me. We may not have time to deal with this, but I'll, I'll just give you something tantalizing that we can talk about. I think in this country, when people stop their education, they make a choice. They either want to be entertained the rest of their life primarily. They will want to learn, but I'm just saying primarily, or they want to learn the rest of their life. And it's my view, a very biased one, that about 80 to 90% of Americans choose entertainment. Mm -hmm. And so their vacations are entertaining vacations. They don't go to Europe for museums and um, art and take courses. They don't go, go, in San Francisco, I took courses at Stanford and Berkeley. They don't do any of that. They want to be entertained. They're going to go to Hawaii and down to the uh, Caribbean. And... um, you can learn wherever you go, but it's not quite like uh, like learning in uh, uh, going to London or the Silk Road or uh, or trying to figure out how Western civilization became dominant. I didn't say when, in case there's some people that are following the Chinese, because the Chinese are about ready to catch us. But the other people will learn. And the problem is there's a guy named Ryan Holiday who's written a book about this called The Obstacle is the Key. You hit obstacles all your life. The only way you're going to succeed is to meet that obstacle, meet that obstacle and go around it. Now, how do you do that? Well, you do that by getting better, developing more talents and things. How do you do that? To my knowledge, only by learning. How do you learn? Well, primarily reading. Um, but most people are not listening to that. In this country, the median number of books read is five a year. That means the uh, 50% of people are reading less than five books. The median time for an adult in this country watching TV or on, or on social media is seven hours a day. Mm. I mean, TV is four and a half. Social media is two and a half. Uh, that's just pathetic. Uh, it's just, in my view, I don't talk like this in front of American audiences very much, but because a lot of them will be in that group yeah. and, uh, and, and that's insulting to them. But it does, you know, to it say, does point out exactly what you're talking about, you know, the distinction of values and the, what people value will determine their behaviors. You know, as I said, when I started this conversation, I've got a huge interest in performance. You know, we play a lot in the fast growth space with business, but I also work a lot with professional athletes and even people in, you know, other areas, including the military. And one of the things that I've discovered is, you know, there's a lot of people that are looking for, and I hear this all the time, and I'm sure you do, like, Roy, you know, how do I, have you got a good book you can recommend on motivation? Have you got a great seminar you can recommend on motivation? And, you know, I I often say to people, look, I, I don't need to read a book to be as motivated as what I am, and I certainly don't need to go to a seminar to be as motivated about it as I am, I'm just really clear on what my motives are because without a motive, there is no action. Without a motive, there is no action. And so for me, one of the things, and this is where I'm interested to go with you, is the more clear I've become on my values and the more I play where my values are, I just seem to have, as do the people we work with, this untapped amount of motivation to be able to do what it is required to do in order to, you know, get to the other side. Why do you think so many people are so unconscious to this connection? Because, you know, I'm sure you've heard it before. How do I become motivated? And this is, well, get to know who you are. Why do you think so many people are so blind to this? Well, both of these guys died for starters, and this isn't being taught anywhere else. Mm. So we're going to talk about how to get to core values because I, 
Um, I'm like a doctor that doesn't want to give uh, prescription. Tell you what I really feel because I'm, I should be checking your heart and everything. But I know by looking at you, you're highly motivated. And so I have a feeling that whatever number of values you have, you know a lot of them. Some people are more intuitive. Women especially know more of their values. Nobody knows all of them. But I suspect uh, that you might have even had a few of the ones that I read down there. And if we, if we went over the whole list, there'd be some that you already are in touch and in tune with. You don't have to know it. You don't have to say, here's my value, Roy. You're already in tune with that. If you're a man of high integrity, you don't have to have somebody tell you you're a man of high integrity. You live that way. Mm. And you would just tell me, oh, I, I never thought of it that way, Roy. It's a value I have within me if Cubby's right. These guys said they were in there. There's a recent book that came out in this country where a guy wrote, you can pick your own core values. Like you go out oh and pick God. a peach off a tree. <clears throat> that is baloney. And I tried to prove it. I, I don't like to attack people anywhere. And I didn't attack him. I just referred to to a book and the guy, I mean, he's going to pick it up, but pick up the attack, I guess. I said, this is so dead wrong. If you had no integrity, you couldn't pick integrity for a core value. Mm -hmm. If you were dishonest and a crook, you want to do anything to get up here and earn a million bucks. You don't have any problem cheating people. There are a lot of people like that. You're not going to take integrity. As somebody said, well, couldn't that change them? No. The fact that they picked a value is not going to change who they are. Mm. They're, they're, if they're basically dishonest people. So I think um, for a lot of people, a value is a social construct that they use to explain the things that they think people want to hear that are important to them. You know, because you hear people talk about, yeah. and this is what I've yeah. observed. I, I'm always cautious and maybe you are too. Whenever someone says to me, I'm just so honest, I'm just so honest, I'm just so honest. I'm not interested in the descriptive word. I'm interested in the behavior, you know, but what I see yeah, a lot of right. people using are the words that make people you know, either give them the acceptance or the recognition or the connection. But oftentimes there's a massive disparity between what people say they are and the behaviors that they produce. Yeah. So does this kind of lead us to where you help people identify their values? It's like, don't think about what your values are. Yeah. Look at how you behave. Yeah. Uh, there is a, a pyramid that Covey and these guys worked out. Here's the pyramid. The bottom is, is uh, see, let me get it up there. It's a funny looking pyramid. The bottom is your why. Mm -hmm. Why? And, and by the way, that should not be determined first. It should be done after your values because after your values, you'll know more about yourself. You've done a lot of research. Then next comes values. Next comes goals. And last come tasks. In this country, all of the stuff that's written is about the top two. Mm -hmm. They don't write anything about your why. And that's not really true. A few people might. But they sure as hell don't know right about values. They don't understand what they are. I've just said they're part of you. That's what these guys believe, and that's what I believed. And when you get into this, you're you're going to know. Uh, if you start analyzing yourself, you'll know whether learning is a value of yours. You know, uh, if you read thirty to fifty books a year, learning is a value mm -hmm. of yours, and that's how you, that's how you become better in this stuff. I mean, I do stacked habits in the morning, 11 of them, one after another, because I read about that. I wasn't smart enough to figure that out. Uh, I, I learned about essentialism. I use core values to eliminate stuff out of my life. Um, I don't have any toxic friends or relatives at all. Um, that's what I use. I didn't have to be told that. 
and I didn't have to study essentialism, but there's a good book out called Essentialism. Beautiful. And when I read it, I and I said, that is fabulous. Then I wrote the guy, and now now he's saying that when he does stuff, he he didn't give me any credit for this, which is okay, but he says now he also considers when he makes a decision, uh, not just financial bottom line and not good for his clients, but does it honor a value of mine? What Here's what these guys said. You find your 10 to 20 core values. You make all decisions after that based upon this. Now, remember, this was at 93, right? I had finished this right at the moment I had this bad situation. And uh, Smith specifically in writing said, you will have two things, fulfillment and peace of mind. Now, if you want a good everyday definition of that, that's happiness. But I don't like the term happiness because it's a little elastic. Mm -hmm. You put a guy in a Barco lounger out near a television set with a Super Bowl on a, a six pack of Australian beer, and he's going to say, I'm happy. Well, that isn't what I mean by that. You know, he's momentarily uh, ecstatic about being able to watch a Super Bowl. I'm talking about fulfillment and peace of mind. And most people would like to be fulfilled peace of mind. And also in my book, I add one other thing, financial independence, but I'm careful about that because you can't just do these things and get financial independence. You have to find the right vehicle. You have to develop some people skills. You have to have courage uh, and probably some other skills depending upon the area you're in. Because financial independence, just the good Lord doesn't give you that. Uh, you will get fulfillment and peace of mind. But uh, just talking to you, they're, they're the kind of skills you work with and you understand and you, you probably have. Uh, people that become entrepreneurs are probably are understand that kind of thing. I am, you know? I am curious from your perspective because, you know, in the time that I spent mm -hmm. with Covey, it was, it was, it was significant because I just had my, um, my third business failure. Um, you know, I was almost pushed into bankruptcy, but I worked my way out of it and I really learned an enormous amount. But one of the things I do remember is they, much like what something you've referred to, they say that once your values are set, they're set forever and they don't change. But I've, I guess you could say I've observed a shift in my values over the last, let's call it 46 years. Well, more so the last, let's call it 26 years, you know, from when I was working with Kavi to now. From your perspective, do values shift or is it just the interpretation that changes? No, I now nobody knows this. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, I don't think they change much. But if you were to say, well, what about Viktor Frankl? He's held in a concentration camp in Germany uh, or wherever the camp was. I think it was in Germany. He's there for years. That's a horrible experience. Couldn't that change a person? I'd have to say, yeah, yeah I, I guess it would. Here's what I think happens when you say your values change. I think your behavior changed as to the values, not the values themselves. I think they were always there, but you may not have honored the uh, the integrity one or the spiritual one or the family one or the give back. Uh, the, a person 18 has a different life from a person 48. The 48 would say, well, I have different values. Now I have family, I have children, I go to church, I do this, I, I work with the relatives more. Um, I don't want this to be a cop-out, but I, I believe that those values were probably always there. Mm. Now, let's say I'm wrong. The values change somewhat. Okay, they do. They change somewhat, maybe. But in, in my belief, uh, I had high integrity before I knew high integrity. But that's why when 
1975 when a company, I, I got a big piece of business where I would get a huge commission every year without having to resell it, it was continuous. The company said, we're gonna give you the commission the first year, but we're gonna make it a company account after that. Because you won't have to do his thing. You know, I felt like telling him, well, would you rather that I just had to work like hell each year to get to that? I'm giving you this huge piece of business. We don't have to spend any of our hours trying to get another huge piece of business. It's gonna come, come in. I quit on the day they told me they were gonna make it a house account. And then in 1993, uh, when they asked me to sign this deposition, and I went to a psychiatrist after going to all night sleep lab, trying to figure out why I'm having these attacks and seeing doctors and heart doctors and everybody. He says, stop, I know exactly what your problem is. You have integrity, they don't. Well, at the same time, I had worked on my core values and I said, Jesus, here's a chance for a test. So I took, this is a sheet that has my core values written out on it. I took a sheet, wrote down the 11 core values here my current job and how, and then over here, the to be job, which was going to be an entrepreneurial job. Right across from number one, which we know is spiritual, well, probably neither one of them are going to, on a scale of zero to 10, how would my current job honor my spiritual or my integrity or any of the other values? And how would it honor it if I was an entrepreneur? And I just have to guess at that. I wasn't an entrepreneur yet. And then I added up the numbers at the bottom. There's a lot wrong with that. Not every value should have an equal number. It depends upon who you are. Your spiritual may, may mean a lot more than family or the reverse. But anyway, this was like double that. There's no question I would quit. And a few months later, the uh, I, I knew the psychiatrist was right. It just sounded right. Uh, a few months later, the uh, panic attacks uh, left. Um, so... Anyway, you go into my book, you look at these 122, you go down and circle the ones that resonate with you. Then I've got 15 tests. You can use any one of them that appeals to you and you'll know the value. And I'll, I'll give you a test. In fact, there are two tests. One's a tough one, physically tough, so it probably appeals to you. Um, I'm just guessing. You come to San Francisco, I take you up to where you sell my office in the high rise. There's an I-beam going from that office in fact, Smith wrote about this. <laughs> it's in his book. I'm, I, I, I'm told him I was going to steal from him. He said, feel free. And he died three weeks later. I was fortuitous. I was able to see him. There's another high rise over there. And I'm going to say, uh, and you've done your values. I'm going to say, which of those values would you cross this I-beam for? Which would you risk your life for? Mm. Now, so this isn't good for every core value. Yep. But, but when I look down my list, I'm going to say, I'm going to cross it for spiritual. Well, that immediately, immediately gives you a hierarchy because you'd be like, well, not that no. one, not that one, not one, but that one. Yes. It does. Yeah. I've never heard anybody say that, but that's true. For family, yes. Integrity, I'd cross it. For community, give back. Would I? I mean, it's open. For accomplishment, for learning, would I do it? Yeah, probably for learning. I have one called resoluteness and renewal. I wouldn't want to give up renewal, even though it sounds funny because that's, that's how you refresh yourself. Uh, there's another one. Uh, you walk into a room. And in the room is all the people you're working with, your clients and your family. Uh, let's say people still shouldn't even be alive, your grandparents and everybody. And in the middle of the room is a coffin. And you say, I know I, all these people. I, I don't see me anywhere. 
what's that? And I tell you, that's a coffin. And so you walk over and look in it and go, it's me. Uh, then I would ask you, you're, in a moment, you're going to hear eulogies from people that know you in business and personal and family. What do you want them to say about you? That is almost dead certain to represent core values that you have. And if you've ever been to a funeral, you'll hear them. They'll get up and say, this guy was a friend to everybody. He was always helpful. He was very warm. He went out and worked the soup kitchens at Christmas. Somebody else will say, smartest guy I ever knew. You brought him a problem, something that required rational thought. He was just a brilliant guy. Uh, he beat the hell out of me all the time in chess, too, you know, something like that. And a third person would say, a wonderful family man. He had a big family. He kept the family together. He, it seemed like he put his wife and his children first, even though he had an important position. That reflects core values. Well, there's a lots, lots of other ones. Uh, those are two of my 15 little helpers. I like that. Um, that, that, that help you. When you're finished with that, you'll have them. You'll have them all. Now, will you be wrong? Maybe. Will you have missed one? Possibly. Will you have added one in there because your dad thought it sounded good or because you're an Aussie and Aussies have uh, big egos, don't they? They're big, strong guys with egos. Um, that's not true. I was just being funny. <laughs> Paul's got a massive ego. So, yeah, yeah the, the, we're, we're, close to home. Say, we're close to home. I started it. The more I got in, the more I saw you weren't smiling. I, said, <laughs> I better drop this one. I, I'm making fun of his country. It's like there's an American making fun of Australians when it comes to ego. That's, that's yeah. bold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so Americans are like that, yeah, you know. I but, uh, but what will so happen is over time you'll find there's a new one that isn't being honored. Mm. You know, that you just didn't think about, especially if you do one of the things that I'm talking about, I talk about with, with um, uh, you'll, you'll have a file manager and a task manager. Oh, I only have 11 files in my task manager, task manager called things. And in my file manager, which is called Evernote, I only have 11 folders. So everything I do in my life has to fit in one of those 11 folders or I don't do it. I only discovered that about four years ago because I had a lot of people took my classes and they got their core values. They were all happy about it. And they didn't, they, they got lazy. Oh, ye of little faith. They didn't go forth and apply it to their life. So it helped them. And they were proud about it. But it was something like they bought three new dogs. Here, look at my dogs. Aren't they pretty? So what can they do? Well, they can eat a lot. I haven't taught them anything yet. So, um, so, and then you'll see something will come along doesn't go in that folder, and you've always worked on it, but not anymore. You've got to decide. Either it goes in there or you, or not, or you add another core value to fit it in there because you didn't anticipate that. So there's where you get to essentialism. Mm. It, I have a lot of energy. I think you do. You may go way beyond the thing. There's probably lots of things you get excited about. And, and I'd say without values, you're like a dog in a meat factory. Yeah. You know, you're, yeah. ah, ah, everything looks good. And, and they do look good. You know, said your best friend's learning how to paint watercolors. He takes trips around the world and he, he paints the scenes. He says, that sounds good to you. Yeah, well, sure, a lot of stuff sounds good. But uh, 
you don't have 50,000 suits in your closet, they might all look good. I've got a couple of crude yeah. helpers that I'd, uh, I'd love to run by you. Like well, people often say to me, well, how do I find my, my values? And I said, well, look, finding your values is, you know, really like going into Ben and Jerry's. You know, you don't, if you eat the same flavor every single time, you're going to assume that that's your favorite flavor. But it's not until you get the opportunity to try a multitude of different flavors that you get to see how the different things taste. And then when it comes to the hierarchy of what's more important, I say, well, imagine you're in a leaky boat and the boat's going to sink. And if you don't get run, you've got, let's say you've got 10 values there. And if you don't get rid of one of those values, that boat's going to sink and you're going to die. Which one would you get rid of? And then the next one, which one would you get rid of? Which one would you get rid of? It's very crude. That's a good one. Very crude. That's a good one. That's a tough one because when is. I look down my list, let's say, where are we now? Let's just say it's a given I'm not going to get rid of renewal because – you have to renew yourself. You have to, you know, you got to find something, even though it doesn't sound exciting. Well, if you say, uh, well, I'm going to take a trip to uh, Australia and see my good friends over there that I just met, you know, that, well, that sounds pretty good. So I want that to stay there. But I've already eliminated those. So it'd be very tough for me. But there is a hierarchy here. I mean, number 10 below renewal is resoluteness. That is not as important in my life as spiritual, family. Um, accomplishment, learning, teaching, integrity, health, just isn't. That's very tough to do the hierarchy. If somebody were to say, do you really have to do do that? I said, no, you don't. It's just, it's a last step that helps you. And I think because for me, it becomes apparent the older I get with the more experience that I achieve. And I guess with, you know, moderation in levels of experience that produces wisdom, I start to become more clear of what that hierarchy is. But I do have a question for you because, you know, and and I've got my own response to this, but I'm really curious on yours because there's not many people that I get to talk to about values and the depth in which they affect behaviors because I'm absolutely obsessed, as I said, with performance. And the values piece for me is a massive one. But oftentimes I have people that will come to me and go, oh, Kerwin, and I'm sure you get the same. Roy, look, I would love to be able to get out of this job and get into a job where I can actually express more of my values. But right now I'm in debt to my eyeballs. I've got, you know, a wife and two kids at home. And, you know, right now I have this job and it doesn't meet necessarily any of my really high values, but it does meet the value of survival, which is a basic need, less not, not so much a, a value. How do I develop a level of motivation to do that job at the at the very least well whilst I pursue you know, me exploring a profession or a career or an endeavor where I can actually express my values on, on the regular? Well, the first, first thing I'd want to know about, I'd want to work on is their future because that will motivate them in the current. If they don't have a, a bright future there, you know, if you're swimming in an ocean and the waves are up here and you're about ready to drown, there's no boat around, that, that's not a motivator, you know, you're, because you can't swim forever. That's where this guy is. So we've got to work on his core values and find out what his goals are, even though they're not current. I wish I had a photographic memory because on one page of my book, it deals with this. Right. And I would have said, I would have said, look at one page 173, <laughs> but I can't do that. I don't know whether it's page 17 or page 180. Read the whole but book, you'll guarantee to find it. Yeah. Here's what it says, because I, I was re- realize this. If you're in a family with kids that have special needs, if you're in a job you hate, if you've got a bad marriage, if you're into drugs or excessive sex, you know, you're prostitutes, 
who, who knows what, you've got some bad habits, um, then you're not going to be able to use my book currently like somebody who's just hungry and 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 um, uh, has a vacuum inside themselves, let's say for, or not a vacuum, let's say a real desire to learn, and they don't have any of those bad habits. But in your case, I, I, my, my answer would be, not your case, but in the book's case, uh, move toward the light as soon as possible. Mm. I know that you can only solve one problem at a time. Mm. Although Aussies think they can solve 10 problems. No, no, I'm just kidding. But we all think that. We all think that. We, we can work on four or five. You really can't. You could probably, can you, if you were 50 pounds overweight, you could work on weight and you could also become a mountain climber. Well, they, those but, but are, I think those you're kind of poking together. at the importance of essentialism. And I think the reason so many people fail to solve their problems yeah. is because I try yeah. to tackle too many at once. Whereas if we yeah. focus on, okay, essentially based on my values, what's the number one problem? Okay, let's solve that one first. Then I think it makes life a little easier to be able to tackle those things. And that's what you do, you'd say. And, and, and if I were coaching him, I wouldn't be telling him. I'd be asking him, mm. okay, you got these issues. You're into drugs. You're debt. You, you've got a bad marriage. You're in debt. You've got a job you hate. Which one of those is the one that's driving you crazy? Say all of them are. No, no, no. Which one is the most serious one? And at some point, they're going to get around to the job because maybe the money is so crappy that they can't get in a better environment. Or, or, I mean, I, I painted a real bad picture. I mean, if you've got a bad marriage and a bad job and so on, you, you, you're down in a hole there. And so you just want to climb up a little bit. If we had the job, then we could start working on him if he had his values. See, they'd have to come into play there. And I would tell you, you, know, you were going to do your values later. You were first going to get out of this hole. I'm telling you, you won't get out of this hole unless you know your values first. You've got to know who, who the hell you are. Or, or, or why don't we do a little test right now? Tell me who you are. He couldn't. He couldn't do it. Mm. You say, "Guy with a miserable life." Well, that's that's really helpful. It's empowering. Uh, but that is, yeah, that isn't that isn't you. So, one at a time, you'd have to get out of that. Let's just take one of them. They've got a parent that's older that requires full time care, and they don't have the resources yet to take care of them. Okay. That's a lot easier to solve than if you've got the worst of all four that we talked about. You know, you, that person's probably fighting off depression. I, I don't know how they live. I've, I've been in situations up till I was 39, I called myself a loser. So I was in situations where I was borrowing money from everybody. I was done being done every night. I moved to San Francisco from Procter & Gamble, Cincinnati. First day in my new job with my boss, my car is repossessed. Well, well, we're over in Oakland visiting Clorox. He comes out and says, where's the car? And I'm an honest guy. I have integrity. And I can't tell him, make up something, because every day he's going to say, what happened to your car? So I just tell him it's been repossessed. And then in my book, it says, I wonder what this guy was thinking about his new hire. <laughs> I mean, right, right, right then he had to think, Roy doesn't seem like that kind of guy. And he's... You know, and then I was thrown out of a place I lived in in uh, San Francisco in a real nice place. And, and I end up being in a, a, a residential hotel, $100 a month for all food and, 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 and uh, board. You can imagine what that was like. Now, that was a long time ago, but you can still imagine. Yep. And when I moved in, a guy who lived up here on the second or third floor dove onto the sidewalk in front of me trying to kill himself. Wow. And 
there's black humor in a place like that. And, and so what they were saying, this sounds terrible. They said, he's so unsuccessful, he couldn't even kill himself. Mm. You know, everybody kind of laughed. There's two kinds of people in there, though. There's young women, young men who are starting out moving to San Francisco. They just can't afford something nice. Nothing wrong with them. And then there's people that are down and out or have a lot of bad habits like me, you know, spending too much money. Um, I also was not a drinker in college, but I drank Friday and Saturday nights when I was out dating or out dancing because I think I was too shy. You know, I needed to get, get <laughs> I needed to get a little liquid, liquid courage uh, to do that. But that wasn't so good either. I mean, I drive home drunk and I'd end up being in a bus barn at 50, 55 miles an hour. That happened once. But somehow I'm off the freeway, I'm in a bus barn saying, good God, what's this? And, uh, uh, or, or had a company car when I worked at Proctor and was in Indianapolis and went out drinking Friday night. So I only did this flight Friday and Saturday nights, trying to, trying to make the picture look a little better. And uh, <laughs> I come back, name. sorry, <laughs> it's a, <laughs> a losing deal. I come back Saturday, I can't find the car. I spent all weekend looking for the car. It's a company car. And I'm going to have to tell them Monday. I can't just not tell them. So, um, and my wife who's out here that, that I met in, in San Francisco when I was trying to change a little bit. She said, Roy, you're late to everything. And just the way you behave, do you know what that's a sign of? And I, I said, well, it's not good. And she said, it's a sign of you're a very selfish person. You think of only yourself first. I, I continually want to talk to my wife and said, what the hell? Why, why did you hang around me with it, knowing what you knew? And so I I learned lessons. So I, so I was down in the tunnel in a way. I wasn't a drunk. I wasn't in alcohol, but I was a loser. If you're borrowing money from women you date who earn a fraction of your money, uh, that's uh, not a good sign. And, and, you, and you can't hold credit. I lost credit cards you haven't even heard of, you know, names that, you know, Ajax plumbing credit card. I'll take it. You know, it'll keep me going for another week. The apex so, uh, of this conversation is leading me to um, a statement that I read, and it's actually the, the, the subheadline, why goals are falling short and what you can do about it. I think it's fair to say that goal setting hasn't worked for a lot of people, um, you know, because right. oftentimes they look at goal setting like they're sitting on Santa's lap. And they're just going, okay, well, here's my wish list, you know, maybe write it on a piece of paper and like, we'll just hope for the best. And so what, yeah. what your, essentially your thesis, your philosophy, your legacy is really about bringing people away from creating wish lists and more about understanding their own behavior. Is there any distinctions yeah. in that, that you can help for people who are having this land for the first time? Well, a wish list means uh, almost anybody you ever run into that has some exciting thing they've done, like they've climbed 10 mountains. I used to be a mountain climber. So yeah, that sounds good. I'd like to go with you and climb some mountains. And here's a tennis player. Oh yeah, that sounds good too. And here's somebody to, let me take you down to the soup kitchen, go down there and you start crying and it changes you. Jesus, this is gonna change my life. Um, and then somebody else who's into books and they say, I've got a great book here called uh, Lifetime Reading Plan that has the greatest books ever written, 200. And I, I think they're pretty much agreed upon. There might be a few on the margins. They're tough books. I've read all those books, though, but they're tough. And there's where I did get hooked in. I said, I want to read every one of those books. Then I ended up teaching them at a local college. 
I don't know anything about books. So all we did is we would all read the book and then discuss it among themselves. Fortunately, everybody in the class, this is interesting, primarily women, about 80%. When you're talking about reading, you're talking about women. And most of the guys that I've known in my life, no matter what level of success they're in, are not doing what Warren Buffett does every day, something like five or six hours of reading mm. during work hours. Mm. You know, So, mm. so you, you, um, all of that stuff sounds exciting. We, we need to forget about that. Find your values first and only work on goals that are attached to that. My values make up um, 11 out of 400. That's about 4%, isn't it? Something like that. Now, values are not spread equally. I mean, activities and goals are not spread equally over all 400. But if they were, if they were, I could eliminate 97% or of all the the goals, the books to read, um, the places to go and so on. But it may not be that high. Maybe it's only 80%. But that's a tremendous uh, ability that that you're given there. You eliminate 80% of the stuff that's out there. It's not essential. 80% of the people you'd like to read, of the of the broad, of the places you directions you'd like to go in business, the people you'd like to know, eighty percent of them, you just as a job says say no to, because then you can focus on this. That's probably why when I was an entrepreneur, except for when I began, I only worked forty hours a week. I only worked that much because I wanted there are a lot of things I like outside of work. I didn't work until midnight every night. I could have. I was excited about uh, my business, but but I I knew my other um, values. So since I had the values made, it made me easy to leave this company mm-hmm. in New York. Now I'm going to make that a little tougher for you. I was earning lots of money. I had drivers everywhere I went, everywhere, even in the city where I lived. I flew first class and I dined in the best restaurants. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying. I knew that jobs like that were hard to come by. And my wife would come with me wherever we went. Now, there was the IRS doesn't like that, but but you can uh, you know, pay for her flight. She can stay in the same hotel. You don't have to measure how much of the room she uses and cut out some percentage of the hotel price. So um, it, it's for people that are in tune with themselves, and I, I suspect you are just listening to this. Uh, there are already values that you're already honoring, just like I was honoring integrity. You may have 15 core values and be honoring 10 of them, but your definitions of them aren't clear. and You're still doing things that, that are, you've included somehow. And then there's five more values you didn't even know about. Uh, but this will, this will cause you to zero in on what you care about. Now, the rest of the world will have to use willpower because the goals they've read about are not good for them. Some are, some aren't. And so after the the goal sounds good, but once they get involved in the effort for it, they're going to have to use willpower. And that's why they quit. That's another reason. They become quitters. They just can't do it. You know, they, they, they can't do the tennis. They can't learn how to play chess. All those things. I don't know how to play chess, but before my values, I wanted to learn it. I wanted to learn to play the piano. I, just, I, I thought those would be, would be wonderful things to do. Now, I'm probably not going to do that, 
uh, because, I mean, some of these are open-ended learning, for example. So somebody who knows their values, like me, they don't have to motivate themselves very heavily with willpower. Now, now I'm going to be careful there. You guys have a business. I had a business. Parts of business are unpleasant, no matter what, the taxes and stuff. So you just have to willpower you're through that part of it. But the basic parts of it, um, your uh, your passion for it will come from the fact that you're honoring a value. Mm. In my book, I give advice to people, is, is it good to chase passion? You know, find something you're passionate about, you'll never work a day in your life. I disagree with that strongly. My book explains it. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. What, what you're passionate about, you may not be good at, you may not be able to earn money at. Uh, just like a woman you date when you're 23, you're not interested in her nor her in you at 30 or 35 or 40. Um, you know, you... You change. And and I feel you don't know enough at that young age. I was taken to task on medium.com by somebody who just said I was an imbecile for suggesting people take dead-end jobs and forget their passion. And I never did that. There's a, there's a pretty wide spread between a dead-end job and a passionate job. They're jobs you kind of like in here. So what I meant, what, what I, my advice to people is you get out there, get some work, keep your eyes open. And then later on, it's important that you be in something mm. that has passion. And you'll find it later when you're more settled, you know who you are, and you haven't trapped yourself at 21. But she said she got a great job. She travels all over the world. I saw from her picture, she's still young. So what I wanted to tell her is, well, the game isn't over for you yet. You know, you're still in the second inning. Why don't we have this talk back in the eighth? I'm in the, I'm in the eighth <laughs> inning, the ninth inning. I'm three to three times older than you come back in 20, um, 30 years. We'll have that same conversation. We'll see where you're at. But maybe, but on the other hand, I don't try to, I don't take on hardly anybody ever because they always have a point of view. And my point of view about her is she's damn lucky. Maybe she has better intuition than I did. I was a loser at her age. She's not a loser. It sounded really good to me. Uh, but just be aware. Steve Jobs says you can't connect the jobs that dots ahead in your life. But you can connect them when you look mm, back. That's so true. So that's so true. So anyway, do, do, do the best you can to get enough experience, and then uh, and then go in the direction uh, you want later. I'm not alone in thinking this. Some some a lot of writers you've read about have mm. written things about this. They've given commencement speeches about it. Um, and I have a kind of a funny bias view. You can decide whether this is true or not. Uh, go ahead. I, I actually. Say, if you sell nails, nails, and you have a you make a million dollars a year and you've got an international business, you'll be passionate about it. <laughs> you may not think it's passionate, but if you've got a, a huge business and it's and your family can do anything you want and, and, and let's say somehow it fits in your core values, although nail making nails is not a core value. But, um, but family might be. Travel might yeah. be. Right. And, or, and, and that and you, facilitates the, the 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 expression of those values at an incredibly high level, 
And um, and you like parts of what you like. You, yeah. you like opening up in Argentina. Yeah. You like dealing with high level people. You're not out selling nails or hammering them into a roof anymore. Roy, so, uh, thank you. Anyway. So, mate, I couldn't think of a better spot to end. Um, we are limited for time, but I think you and I need to jump on another podcast at some point in the future. I do have an idea for you, though. Um, I don't know if you've ever thinking about starting a podcast, but as we were discussing this, I thought there is a real space in the market for someone to start a podcast called the values podcast where you bring on successful people and then you take them through a process to elicit cool. what their values Good. are so that everybody can understand their own motivations and i couldn't think of anyone better equipped or better experienced than, than you to do that mate so if you're looking for a podcast mate that's that's a cracking idea your book the full a fool's errand why goals are falling short and what you can do about it where can people find this book and more about you mate they can buy it, they, they can purchase it at Amazon uh, and at Barnes and Noble, and that's it. Fantastic. If they want to re read more about this stuff, they can go on medium.com, which is a local blog, uh, national, international blog site, medium, M-E-D-I-U-M.com, and they can search for me and for uh, core values or there are uh, lots of other Roy Cooks, I guess. I discovered there, are. Are, there are a lot of Roy Cooks. We'll put so just take the title of the book and my name and then go on there and I've actually serialized the book. Every chapter except how to do it is in there because my publisher said, what are you, an idiot? You're going <laughs> to give them all the way free? Keep one chapter Keep out. one chapter out. So, Look, I, so, uh, and, and, and I write a lot about this just in looking, responding to other people. Wow. Well, uh, I think you need to bring out a podcast. I think that would be a great next step. Ladies and gentlemen, honor and a pleasure. Roy Cook, thank you so much for your time, mate. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business, but we do it from an immersive but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com